do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this episode of the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, I'm Sam Holzman, and today I do have a special guest with me. I'll be introducing in just a moment, Derek Sweden. But as we always do in our broadcast, what we're trying to do is to bring some method to the uh, Internet madness that's out there. And as we all know, one of the great things about the Internet is anybody can write anything about anything. And one of the problems with the Internet is, of course, anybody can write anything about anything. And what we try to do at each broadcast is to bring some new techniques, new activities to you in business information and technology. And in this episode of the 2020s Enterprise, we're pleased to have our special guest, Eric Sweden, with us, who is the program director, enterprise architect, and enterprise architecture and governance for NASIO. NASIO is the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. And the NASIO mission is to foster government excellence through quality business practices, information management, and technology policy. What a great idea where we're going to bring all the states together to bring some good practices to all of these states that are out there for all sorts of great reasons, if no other, to have a series of practices that provide essentially the citizenry with more services for less uh, fee that's there. And the state members are all senior uh, officials from state government who have executive level and statewide responsibility for information technology leadership. So with that, I'd like to introduce uh, Eric Sweden and just have him tell you a little bit about himself and a little bit more about NASIO. Eric? Thank you, Sam. Uh, As I stated earlier, it's always a pleasure and a real privilege to talk with you, Sam. Uh, I have... Uh, a story like many that's a rather zigzag pattern, but it goes back a ways. Uh, I worked as an engineer designing electrical distribution systems, worked as an assistant business manager for a clinic, studied at the undergrad graduate level a lot of physics, mathematics, chemistry, economics, neurophysiology, just a vast portfolio. But I had this interest in the big picture. And along with that, a deep concern about the world, people, making society not just a good place, but a wonderful place. So all of that's in my basic DNA. And then coming across the concept of enterprise architecture and inter-enterprise architectures, uh, I came across people, uh, one of my professors was Dr. Jim Weatherby, John Zachman, of course, who you both, you and I both know, Dr. Bob Holland, James Martin, Clive Finkelstein, Ron Ross, Gordon Kimberly, and a guy by the name of Sam Holzman. <laughs> anyway, the list is endless and keeps growing. All of this uh, thought around enterprise and enterprise architecture resonated with me, and I did my MBA at Carlson School of Management, Minnesota, and they're all about enterprise. And I got very enthused about that concept of enterprise-wide thinking. Carlson hires out its MBAs as consultants. Our consulting team worked at a bank and reported directly to the president of the bank. Again, back to that enterprise-wide thinking. I graduated, went to a very, very, very large global chemical company uh, that manufactures a variety of things. 
But they uh, liked my studies in chemistry and engineering and uh, other things. As a new employee, I was in the new employee orientation program, and I met Dr. Alex Nobbs from Switzerland, who headed up EA. He had a PhD in data architecture or business architecture. I'm not sure, Sam, which of those was his focus, but we really hit it off. He liked my questions, and uh, at that company, uh, I must say, we didn't just have smart people. We had brilliant people, and I was an enthusiastic learner. Our culture was creative, inventive, entrepreneurial. We created a lot of expertise in EA, as you know, because you helped us do it. And we were early adopters of really good ideas. Anyway, Dr. Nobbs invited me to join his team, and I accepted. And we were doing wonderful things in EA, data management, business architecture, data quality. And our view was from the boardroom right down to the manufacturing plants, the pumps and reactors, the pipelines, the supply chains, health, safety, and environmental, consumer products, pharmaceuticals, base chemicals, and other related lines of business. And by the way, yes, our architecture was about IT, but not just IT. We built business architectures independent of any other uh, technology or information technology um, uh, choices. So I, I was in my element, Sam, thinking like an MBA, enterprise-wide, and in my journey I worked with and was invited to join patent law, accounting, economic valuation, treasury, and eventually occupational health and medicine. And I went with that choice, and they sent me back for a master's of science at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. See, my degrees aren't in IT. We created a comprehensive business architecture within uh, our global uh, occupational health and medicine practice. It included clinical, clinical lab, emergency room, industrial health, plant design, health physics, I found myself on the ventilation engineering team, the global informatics team, and still thinking enterprise, Sam. I was the project director of a research project involving one of our corporate partners and Northwest University of Chicago. One of my mentors was the global director of medicine. Very long days, very exciting. In that time, I had always a phone call away from going back yet again for a medical degree. But that was a very fast time. Along with these big ideas, one emphasis we maintained, no matter how wonderful something appeared, and as you stated earlier, anything you can publish on the web, uh, you know, anybody can, and there's a variety of things. You've got to vet what is out there and what are the ideas. What we learned uh, back in those years was the importance of a good business case, and there was an economic evaluation applied to everything we did, testing, timing, economic and technical feasibility, what can actually get done, what outcomes we can achieve, keeping in mind the bottom line. So I saw the employment of many capabilities in business practices, economics, and IT. High T capabilities uh, were included in a, a host of highly competitive capabilities that created opportunities for the company. Eventually, I accepted a promotion back to corporate as a global architect, and when folks came into town from Pacific region, South America, Europe, Canada, wherever, uh, they often scheduled a meeting with me, so I was able to maintain and even expand on this global perspective on many fronts. So you can see I've got a very wide uh, appreciation uh, in terms of enterprise architecture, 
uh, global view. And Stam, uh, as you know from our conversations, I haven't changed a bit. I still maintain that view. And I see EA as more than IT. And I keep researching, learning, testing ideas, working with others to get things done. So there's a, there's a short history on me. <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, you were obviously in the private sector for quite some time. And yeah. somehow you ended up as a uh, executive director of enterprise architecture and governments at NASIO. Can you sort of uh, give us an idea of that transition and, and what yeah, NASIO and does I, in this I, arena? It, it's kind of interesting because I actually called NASIO to um, get the contact information for the CIO for one of the states. And in the process of the conversation, I was talking with one of the attorneys at NASIO, and they said, hey, we need you here. We're looking for an architect. And he sent me a uh, description, a job description. It was for a network architect. I said, well, I read the description, and uh, that's not me. I don't, I'm not a network architect. And uh, she said, yeah, but we, we, we don't need a network architect. We need you. So uh, I met with the president uh, of NASIO, who was also the CIO for State of Michigan, and uh, the uh, president of AMR Management Services, which is really the association management company that provides the association management services for a number of associations, including NASIO. So technically, I'm an employee of AMR Management Services, a really outstanding company, but I'm fully dedicated as the program director for uh, NASIO. I, I, they offered me a job. I accepted it because of the mission. You know, here I am serving states and territories, and uh, uh, I have had just the best career and the best boss. I, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, uh, in, in all the, the positions I've had, right now I've got the, the ideal situation. I work with the best, the most imaginative, creative jo- uh, boss, Doug Robinson, and he's in a very unique class of people. He's, he's a visionary uh, he's a team builder, uh, and all of us here are on mission. Very collegial, collaborative environment, uh, a model team uh, 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 regarding uh, team dynamics and uh, supporting one another. Then add to that that whole cohort of state CIOs, their staff, our territories, our nonprofit members, highly contributing corporate community. This is really an amazing place, Sam. So we're continually developing products for our states. Looking over the horizon, you could see from our annual CIO surveys, our annual top 10, uh, what are we working on and what have we worked on in the past. Fantastic. Uh, you, you sound very, very exciting, and it's great to see the, uh, the uh, public sector getting into these types of things that are there. Uh, we have a, a short break coming up pretty soon, but before for that break, uh, can you give us an idea of some of the uh, services that NASIO provides to the state CIOs, please. Certainly. Uh, one of the things that we do uh, is we provide advocacy uh, in the, uh, 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 with the federal government. So we've got a dedicated staff uh, that we call Government Affairs and Advocacy. We've got a full-time Washington director. So we're continually looking at the issues between uh, states, territories, and the federal government. Currently, those advocacy priorities are harmonizing disparate federal cybersecurity regulations and normalizing the audit process 
states and territories are subject to from the federal government. Uh, we are looking for more meaningful uh, participation from state CIOs and Chief Information Security Officers on FEMA's Senior Advisory Committee, Urban Area Working Groups, and we recognize, we're look, working toward recognizing state authority and ongoing innovation with emerging technology. So we provide that adv- advocacy. We also have a host of committees that are uh, focused on the issues facing state territorial government, which are highlighted in our top ten and our annual surveys. And we're always working for sharing ideas, best practices, reusing the best of the best. We have an awards, uh, technology award uh, archive that we maintain uh, ongoing best ideas from the states. It's a, it's a great place to look for ideas for anybody. All of our materials, publications, are free to anybody. We have two conferences a year. We join together with our corporate partners and focus on those issues facing our CIOs to help them, enable them to do a, the best job they can. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, so there's, ex- there's an exchange of information, there's practices uh, uh, that are there. Is it sort of like um, um, a clearinghouse? Uh, who provides essentially, uh, you know, for example, backgrounds in architecture or business strategy or those types of things or mission strategy for the various states? Does that come through NACIO or does it come through the uh, states and how, how does that all work? You know, there's a variety of paths, Sam. We are, in a way, a clearinghouse, but we're also a place for state CIOs to come together and share ideas. Uh, a lot of ideas are coming up from the states, from state CIO staff. We have ideas coming in from our corporate partners, our nonprofit uh, partners. We are uh, evaluating things coming from the federal government. And we discuss them, we share them, we make uh, uh, evaluations on what's the most useful, what's ready for prime time. We'll publish reports on what the states are doing. We'll have webinars on specific case studies, uh, success stories, even uh, stories about what doesn't work. And then we're continually looking over the horizon. Uh, One of the things on our radar right now is TBM, Technology Business Management. Uh, CIO is broker. We're looking at a new operating model, but all of that is generated within the community, and we are uh, continually uh, providing a forum for those ideas to come forth, to discuss them, evaluate them, and test them. Uh, You'll see that in any of our publications. Look for the contributors to our reports. They're coming both from state government as well as from our corporate partners. So it's an idea generation environment. It's an opportunity for CIOs to see what's coming over the horizon in the way of market offerings. We share our best ideas for how do we connect with our agency programs across the states? How do we better enable them? And one of the main things we're looking at right now, Sam, is the changing role of the CIO. And the the CIO is no longer that IT director, technology-only focused leader They are, in fact, a business strategist. So that evolution is something we're aware of and we're promoting. So we're currently working on a very special project I'd like to talk to you about in this uh, interview, uh, in this radio program, uh, CIO's Broker. So we'll cover that when you're ready for it. Fantastic, Eric. With that, 
Uh, I think this is a good uh, time to have just a, a short break. Uh, we'll segue in here. This is Sam Holzman. Uh, you're listening to the 2020s Enterprise, um, and our special guest is Eric Sweden uh, from NASIO. And after a short break, we'll continue this conversation. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to The 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, and today... Our special guest is Eric Sweden. He's the Program Director of Enterprise Architecture and Governance uh, for NASIO, the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. In our first segment, we were just giving you a little bit of background about uh, Eric, a uh, very extensive background in, in both the uh, public and private sectors, and also talking about the role of, of NASIO and the changing role of the Chief Information Officer, CIO. And uh, I hope there are CIOs listening, and I hope that Never, ever do I try to offend anyone, but I, I want to start off with a, a phrase here that I use with our clients one-on-one, not in a general meeting, but if I have the privilege of, of speaking with the CIO, I suggest to the CIO that if that individual thinks that the role of the CIO in today's digital world is building and creating systems, then I jokingly state, again, one-on-one in a private sec- in this private segment, CIO stands for career is over. And so that's not what we're looking at. We believe that the CIO's role and the role of enterprise architecture, not technology architecture, is the enablement of business or mission strategy. And that's what we think essentially the future role is. It's essentially the individual or the group that actually harnesses technologies, information, organizational activities, puts that all together to enable business strategy. Eric, your thoughts as you see them here? Well, I have to agree with, uh, with what you just stated. And as we're looking at the role of the CIO, um, we are seeing a, a definite change over the last many years. I would say probably over the last 10 years uh, or more, the state CIO moving away from boxes and wires uh, and the first one who, who really saw this was Doug Robinson, our executive director. He and I collaborate on everything. 
Uh, and one of the uh, uh, driving forces for our direction, developing our work plan every year, is looking at that evolving role of the state CIO. And you'll look at the background of our state and territorial CIOs. We're, we have attorneys, we have CPAs, we have MBAs, we have people who came from finance, they came from marketing, uh, military folks, some of them are high, former high-ranking uh, officers in our uh, armed forces. Uh, there's just a lot of uh, business background and savvy with the people that are in these roles today. So you're absolutely correct. Uh, and the, the, the people that come into state government, they're mission-oriented. You know, they're, they're wanting to serve their state and their country. And uh, we help prepare them for that with our new CI orientation because, in fact, this environment is somewhat different from the corporate world. We've got so many people that are coming into this role from the corporate world, bringing business acumen, marketing ideas. Uh, they're innovative. They're very creative. Uh, and we're trying to then bring them into this environment and make them successful, get them ready for success in this environment, because now they're dealing with different aspects, different dimensions than the corporate world. Here, we have a customer base that's non-negotiable, our citizens. We have, are subject to legislation, legislation regulations. Uh, the governor's agenda is always right in front of us. We have a very significant threat landscape, so cybersecurity is at the top of our list, has been for many years. So uh, preparing people for that uh, role, and then as we see this evolving role, we moved into a new initiative in about uh, actually summer of 2017. It's interesting because I was down in state of Georgia intending to talk to these folks about an initiative we thought would be probably appropriate, and that is mainframe as a service. And in conversation with Kelvin Rhodes, uh, Dr. Steve Nichols, uh, Dean Johnson, staff there uh, for, the, for the state of uh, Georgia, uh, I, we changed direction. I came back to the office, talked to Doug Robinson, and said, hey, I think, I think we need to take a different direction. And we termed this new direction, this new initiative, CIO's Broker. And I'd like to fill you in more on that. But do you have more questions regarding that evolving role, uh, because, and I will say the CIO's Broker Initiative will align with your question, uh, Sam. One more question before we go into that, uh, okay. you know, as, as you move forward, and that's um, as, as you started working with the state CIOs, uh, as you said, and, and we've had the privilege of, of doing both government and private sector work also, what did you see as the, as the uh, I won't say the major, but the difference between the public and private sector organizations uh, for our audience there that may have not experienced both sides of that, uh, that world out there. The accountability changes in the corporate world. And of course I spent many years in, in the corporate world too, as you stated earlier, uh, the accountability in the, the, uh, the private sector is to the strategy, the mission values, uh, corporate leadership, you know, it's a profit-oriented motive. And, uh, of course, as uh, good enterprise architects, even, even if you're not working as an enterprise architect, you're always thinking traceability back to why are we here, what are we trying to accomplish. We're trying to get a product out the door. We're trying to pursue this particular market segment. Uh, 
Uh, we're trying to achieve efficiencies. Uh, you come to state government, you find there's, there's a little bit different uh, nuance regarding efficiency and effectiveness. In some ways, government is deliberately not uh, always efficient. And why is that? It, it's because we have to allow time for debate. We have to allow time for a legislature to examine issues. In fact, we've got a, a publication on this. Everything starts with issues. And uh, which issues are we going to pursue? This is one of the reasons I created the uh, NASA Enterprise Architecture Value Chain. It, the first thing we're going to try to understand is what is going to have the best impact on citizen outcomes. See, that's different from a corporate world. You're trying to acquire most valued customers, you know, uh, and you're trying to cross-sell, you're trying to do many things, but it's all focused on profitability. Here, we're on mission. We're looking at citizen outcomes, whether it's health and human services, public health, child welfare, environmental, uh, uh, transportation. Uh, we're trying to create uh, and protect and even embellish this environment that we call our states, our cities, our counties. Public safety is a big issue. We've had strong partnerships with the Department of Justice over the years, uh, predictive policing, things like that. So it's very different. So the CIO is working in a, a different motivation and a very different political environment. We, you get politics everywhere. In the corporate world, you've got corporate politics. In government, you've got governmental politics. You know, and we are nonpartisan. Whether you're, what, whatever party you're at, you're, you're from, you know, whatever the governor's party is, it's pretty near uh, irrelevant to us. We're trying to create an environment where that, that governor, that legislature, through the, the help of the, and expertise of the state CIO can actually implement effective program outcomes from all of the agencies that are in the executive branch of state government. Hmm. So the as you mentioned from a from a government government standpoint and a governor standpoint, um, how does it, uh, or if does it? But how does the CIO uh, educate the governor? I hate to use the word educate. It sounds like governors aren't intelligent. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. Yeah, I know. And and you know in as you said uh, you know cybersecurity and and. Uh, uh, digital transformation and all of these whiz bang technological magic things that they mm-hmm. th- that they mm-hmm. see out there, and and how do, how does the CIO advise the governor that there's a hype cycle out there and the elixir salesmen are going to be banging on that individual's door every day? Uh, they do they have much influence in that or or how do they sort of balance the as I said the hype meisters out there that have big cigars, motor cars, and golf course memberships. And the poor CIO that's uh, struggling to try to get uh, you know some code out the door to help the citizenry. Can you give us some well, insight into that? <laughs> yeah, now that that's an interesting um, that's an interesting question because in fact, I'd say probably about half of our CIOs are cabinet members, so they've got better access to the governor. Ah, okay. okay. Uh, and in fact, we do have a lot of situations where, in fact, we've got uh, very aggressive marketing uh, from various vendors going directly to legislators, going directly to the governor, and completely bypassing the CIO. So you can see the important 
the importance of where the CIO reports is critical. Uh, but again, I'd say probably about half of our CIOs are in that situation. Others are reporting to Secretary of Administration or uh, some other avenue. But um, the CIO is in a role to evaluate what is really ready for prime time and what are going to make the best uh, long-term investments. Now, the, the best vendors out there are partnering with the CIO, and they're not after a one-off sale. They're after a productive, mutually beneficial, long-term relationship. Okay, those are the, those are the folks uh, I love working with, and they're, I would say they're as civic-minded, they're as uh, public uh, uh, citizenry-minded as, as our state employees uh, are, or they're, they're awfully close. Um, and those are the folks that are uh, looking for uh, long-term outcomes, and so they're asking to be uh, made familiar with what are you trying to achieve in the way of program outcomes. Because there is a lot of hype. And, and even NASIO uh, plays a role there as we discuss emerging technologies. We ask in our state CIO annual survey, what's emerging and what do you think is ready for prime time? Here's the value of a community like NASIO. It's just, it's not a few people thinking about uh, these issues. It's a whole community, including our corporate partners. But we've got the CIOs from states and territories coming together and thinking about what's coming over the horizon What's ready? What's not ready? And you know if you're, if you're too early on adoption, it can cost you a lot of money. States don't have that kind of money for experimentation and uh, trying things out that, that, uh, that have a high probability of failing. And now that doesn't mean we don't have an innovative, we even have innovation labs in some of the states. But, but the, the point is uh, we've got to be very careful with our budgets, and we've got to be very careful with our expenditures. Uh, so we are uh, rather, I would say, rather uh, uh, critical, and I mean that in a positive way, we're critical of new, uh, new technologies coming forth uh, through, the, uh, through the door from the market. And we don't, we don't uh, we're not swayed by the hype. We cut right through that. You know, we're, again, we're, one of the main guides there is how is the citizen better off if we employ whatever it be, whether it's a technology innovation or a business process innovation. Okay. Um, one of the projects that uh, uh, we worked on a number of years ago, this, this was not at the state level, but I'd like you to comment on it. Um, it was actually for the government of Canada. And, um, of course, you know, the Canada is Canada, and it has provinces, which is similar to the United States that has, obviously, states and territories. And one of the things that uh, came out of some of the work there was the recognition that things are the same, and then some things aren't the same. Basically, you have certain things going on uh, at a, at a uh, country level, and certain things going on essentially at a provincial level. And at the time we were working um, uh, in Canada, uh, we actually coined the term federated architecture uh, with our client there in, in, in Ottawa. And basically what we learned was 
there's certain data, certain information, and there are certain processes that are common across the provinces. And then there are certain things are, that are obviously provincial. And that model was a tremendous guide for the provinces and essentially also the federal government in Canada because what actually was determined that a small number of things, which was not what was thought about in the beginning, need to be federated. Most things should stay provincial. So I'm looking at the United States now and, you know, essentially, uh, you know, we, we do work in lots of different areas, lots of different states. Mm-hmm. I don't see that, Eric. Is, is, is there something like that going on to look at the commonalities? Because what I see is a leverage that the states can use with the vendors. I'm not saying against the vendors mm-hmm. to build some commonality across the states to provide even more services to the citizenry at a much, much lower cost because there's some common elements across the states, yet recognizing, like we did in Canada, that there are certain things that are state-specific, and that would be same as except. Anything like that going on as far as practices or anything thought about like that? Absolutely. Uh, And I would say uh, that kind of thinking precipitated a couple of things. One was our cross-jurisdictional collaborative initiative, where we were pulling ideas from not just states, but counties and cities, ideas that could be reused. And some of the ideas showed a, uh, demonstrated an effective joining up of counties. For instance, the counties in the state of Minnesota joined up to uh, share resources. There's a, a group of uh, communities in Pencil- Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that joined up and uh, they share resources. Uh, they share information technology. Across the states, you'll see state of Illinois and state of Michigan are joined up on a Medicare, Medicaid information system. Uh, when I first came in here, uh, uh, quite a few years ago, one of the things that surprised me was every state and territory had its own Medicare, Medicaid information system, which is really a federal reporting system. And I said, why don't we get down to one? Of course, I'm coming in a rather ignorant, coming from a global chemical company where we did everything. Uh, we actually made a dramatic move toward common systems was uh, the first uh, uh, generation of that. And then we moved toward uh, truly integrated across all five global regions. But I got pushback saying, hey, don't, don't mess with my waivers. I've got waivers that some of the other states don't have. And my question was, well, why don't all the states have those waivers? Or why do we have no, any waivers at all? I mean, why don't we get rid of the waivers? Or give them to everybody. You know, the idea was, why should there be inconsistencies in that particular line of business across the states. And I still don't have any good reason for that, but <laughs> you look at so many commonalities. And we have discussed this as part of that initiative, that cross-jurisdiction collaborative. If we created specific legislation to force it, you'd have to do it. In other words, the, the uh, U.S. 
Congress would be saying, hey, since we have this collaborative in place, you need to use it. So we're very careful on statutory requirements along that line. Right now, it's states seeing the value in joining up. They join up in purchasing. You can purchase off other states' uh, purchasing contracts oftentimes, and there's a uh, a central uh, epicenter for that called Value Point, where states can uh, leverage purchasing, uh, you know, prices, uh, contracts, subscriptions, that kind of thing. But you're, there, there's always going to be some difference in the states, uh, just based on what is their economics, what is their community base, what is the demographics, the geography. But we're continually looking for those commonalities to share uh, resources and reduce expenses. Sounds sounds fantastic. Really sounds fantastic, Eric. And uh, we've got just a, a minute or so before the next break. And what I'd like to do is to, uh, as I said, uh, just uh, introduce uh, uh, this concept as the uh, CIO as a broker. Uh, just a, a minute or so a summary there before we take our break. And then in our last segment today, I'd like to get into that because I think our audience would be very fascinated at what that is evolving into. In other words, that new role that you were uh, uh, mentioning. So could you give us sort of like a, uh, as the phrase goes, a 70,000 foot uh, summary of that before we take our break? And then uh, we'll discuss that uh, in detail when we come back. Very good. Okay, Sam. So I will just say this at this juncture. The CIO's broker is what we see as an evolving new operating model for the state CIO. And as you know, we did an enterprise architecture toolkit back in 2004 or 5, that time frame. That was a big deliverable. I would say this is a bigger deal than that. We're at our 50th anniversary year this year for NASIO. 50 years it's been in place. Wow. And going forward. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> a, thank you. This is an inflection point. This 50th anniversary marks a dramatic change that I think we'll see in the role of the CIO, and that's that CIO broker. CIO is a business strategist. Uh, this is a very big deal, and it's never going away. As I tell people, this is a, an initiative we have that's going to go forward into the future, and it'll never end. Fantastic. So with that, that's an exciting segue into our next segment. Uh, we're going to just take a short break, and we'll come back with uh, our guest, Eric Sweden, and talk about the future coming up. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together. 
to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Thank you for coming back. Uh, This is Sam Holzman with The 2020s Enterprise. My guest today is Eric Sweden, who is the... uh, 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 program director for enterprise architecture and government uh, governance, excuse me, at NASIO. And we've had two fantastic uh, segments discussing the changing role of the CIO uh, in the organization, moving away from essentially just building systems to becoming an integral part of the actual activities going on at state levels. And uh, we introduced the concept right before the past break here of the CIO as broker. And uh, Eric, I'm going to turn it over to you and and have you uh, amplify that phrase a little bit for our audience if I can. So go ahead, Eric, please. Very good. Okay, glad to do that, Sam. Uh, I'm very excited about this initiative. Uh, This is uh, the future uh, for the CIO. And, you know, why is this positioned within within enterprise architecture and governance? Again, we have a very broad view of enterprise architecture from the governor's office right down to the programs, down to the field uh, technicians out there taking uh, metrics on environmental, air quality, whatever it is, a very broad view of EA. And this fits perfectly. Doug Robinson uh, was very supportive uh, and has provided us a lot of guidance on this project. But CIO is a broker, or the new operating model for the state CIO is an initiative we started formally in uh, January of 2018 with a MOU with one of our corporate partners who's one of the leaders here, maybe the leader, and that's Integris Applied. They've been working in states of Texas, Georgia, and the Commonwealth of Virginia. One of the uh, important uh, personalities there is Patrick Moore. He's former CIO for the state of Georgia. And then Les Druitt, who started this whole thing in the state of Texas. But at this juncture, Sam, we've got four publications and a webinar available on our website. Everything's free from us. The latest publication, the fourth publication, is our playbook for state government. That playbook contains 11 essential plays for embracing this new operating model. And you'll see that CIO's broker brand on all of these publications. But the CIO, state CIO, has moved from a technology director to a business strategist. And this is where, uh, in talking to you in the past, I've said, you see an overlap of roles, the merging role, the merging of the roles of the CIO and the business architect. Our annual state surveys reflect this evolution uh, of the, the role of the state CIO. Now, I'm, I'm, I, I've got, again, I'm privileged to be working in a highly collaborative team within our enterprise architecture and government program. Our co-chairs, Dr. Craig Orgeron, CIO for Mississippi, Eric Boyette, CIO for North Carolina, and then Patrick Moore, Les Druitt, 
and then we've added on uh, Dean Johnson and Dr. Uh, Steve Nichols from Georgia. Uh, and I must say, we've got one of the best teams I've ever worked on. But this whole initiative started with a hypothesis, Sam. Here's the hypothesis. Customer, political, market, and inertial forces are moving state government CIOs toward a brokerage of services delivery model. A brokerage model allows the CIO the ability to respond to customer needs, keep pace with market demands, leverage new technology models, and importantly, engage across many stakeholder groups. The evolving demands on the role require a framework to help the CIO lead and manage change within state government political environment and help stakeholders understand the role of the state CIO. Sounds like a very, very broad mission uh, that's there. You said there was sort of a, a, a game plan. Is there uh, two things, 20 things, 80 things that uh, uh, you're trying to tackle in this, in this new environment that you're looking at? Well, we're setting the ground here, and in some ways the ground's been set uh, in a few states, like Texas and Georgia. Uh, so they're sort of our laboratory, and we're learning a lot from them. So we put together, as a start of our next phase, this playbook of 11 plates, 11 things any CIO can do, uh, no matter where they are relative to their maturity, in this environment or in this, uh, in this area. So we're, we've provided advice on what we call the four forces of government change. And uh, apologies to Michael Porter. You know, we kind of borrowed on his, his uh, <laughs> concept. But we're, we're looking at political forces, customer forces, inertial forces, and market forces. Every state, as we said earlier, there's lots of commonality across the state. There has to be. I mean, uh, they're, they're organized very similarly. There's a few cases where the states have uh, different patterns of governance, but the political forces for each state are going to be unique. The customer forces are unique. Market forces, somewhat unique. Inertial forces, that's the internal organizational design and many other things. Now, we describe all these forces in detail in one of our reports. We have also uh, encompassed change principles. Here's the idea. Whatever we do, we want to always trace back to these principles. Decisions are made with the citizen in mind. We want to maintain a sustainable learning environment that can adapt. So that's a change competency. We want to properly balance enterprise-wide and agency-specific interests and effectively use taxpayer dollars. So those are the four forces. And then we present a maturity model. It always helps to have a maturity model because no matter where you find yourself, you could see where are we headed. We spent a, a number of publications on the, these concepts. One of them we delve into something we call the dimensions of this whole concept, which include these five dimensions, Sam. Cost, accountability, and currency. Access to technology choices. Operational competence. 
control and flexibility, and finally, change capability. It's a big deal on change capability. And so our plays encompass how do you actually act this out, including preparing the workforce. Because in this new environment, where the CIO is, as I stated earlier, on one side, there's the program needs, there's provisioning, enabling program mission for all the agencies. On the other side, the market is coming in with a fire hose of technologies. Where are those technologies in the hype curve you mentioned earlier, Sam? Some of them are ready for prime time. Some of them need some time to mature. And then the ultimate goal, positive citizen outcomes. So the plays are, are looking at uh, how do you, where, wherever you are on a maturity model, what are things that you need to be thinking about? I mentioned workforce because the CIO is now provisioning capabilities coming out of a, a number of sources. One is internally developed source, uh, capabilities, but less on that. So we talk about the CIO's organization becoming less rowing, more steering. Cross-jurisdictional collaboratives, like we see on our archive, our database of cross-jurisdictional ideas, and then uh, from our corporate partners. So you're vetting all of those things and trying to, to orchestrate them. Think of an orchestra. <clears throat> you got the violins, the woodwinds, the brass. Everyone's playing from the same score, but they have different parts to play. And it all has to present this, this, this music that's beautiful, not cocophonial. Okay? It can't be confusion and chaos. So there's discipline around operational level agreements, service level agreements. And when you're bringing all of these providers of capabilities together, it's kind of like the uh, uh, Boeing uh, Dreamliner, okay? You're bringing together so many different vendors who have intellectual property, and now they're working with their competitors to deliver a common outcome. That's pretty difficult. So those are some of the challenges we see. So next phase on this, Sam, is an idea coming out of uh, Georgia. It was originally coined by Les Druitt from Integra Supplied. Uh, and by the way, we've got a video on this uh, whole concept. I encourage everyone to check that video out. If you go to the Integra Supplied website, you'll see uh, Patrick Moore presents the concept as well. But Les Druitt and uh, Dean Johnson coined this term, dynamic operations. So now we take the concepts presented in our first four reports, our webinar, our, our playbook, and how do you operi- operationalize it? And Sam, the way I describe it to people in short terms is, this is the DevOps of the new operating model. So that's our next phase. We're going to develop those dynamic operations, guidance, documents, webinars, uh, with the help of our states and our corporate partners. So that's our, that's our future, Sam. Great. Uh, we've got about uh, four more minutes uh, that's there. I want to cover briefly uh, two topics there, and, and let me give you both of those, uh, Eric. One is uh, this issue of, of cybersecurity. Uh, uh, boy, is it in the headlines every day. Uh, um, uh, I, I believe uh, uh, the, the newest uh, challenge is, uh, I think it's in, in Baltimore, is it? Uh, ransomware, where the whole city essentially is being paralyzed because of these evildoers. Dangerous. 
you know, out there uh, yep. uh, with, with those types of things. Um, and the second topic is, uh, if, if, if we can close on, on the following, what would be your key messages to both the state audience that may be out there uh, listening to us and also the, uh, the public sector, excuse me, the private sector that's listening to this and saying, can I apply some of this? So if you could take a minute or so uh, uh, on that first topic, and um, uh, that'd be fantastic. And then, as I said, just a few minutes to close here. So can you give us a, okay. a summary on what is going on in the world of cybersecurity out there? Cybersecurity has been our top priority from our uh, top 10 for quite a few years now. It's always been on the top 10 ever since we started the top 10. Uh, back in about 2007, uh, we have a number of issues there. And by the way, as part of this, we published two very important documents. Uh, one is uh, Cyber Disruption Response Planning. We developed that publication in a partnership with the uh, U.S. Department of Justice, the Fusion Centers, National Guard, uh, uh, regional uh, activities, and all of our state CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers, accompanying that, uh, that work is our report on advanced cyber analytics. So what are we going to delegate to the computer? Where are we going to have a human being in front of glass uh, solving problems? You know, we're always wondering what's the norm and how's the norm changing. We're in dangerous times. State government is a target. And keep in mind, those that are perpetrating these attacks are extremely well-funded. They are extremely organized. They have what's called a kill cycle. It's a project management discipline. And when they create a, a, what I call a cyber sortie, they need to get payback. And they may go up to corporate uh, targets first. Uh, but they're going to get an ROI. If the corporate uh, finds the, you know, turns out to be too resilient, they'll come after us. And we're out-budgeted. We're outspent. And so the uh, frequency instances, uh, I would say the uh, incidence and prevalence <laughs> of cyber attacks is on the upswing. It's getting worse. We are challenged by getting proper talent and technology into our uh, states to be able to deal with this ever-increasing uh, threat. So there's, Eric, there's a minute thank you. overview. Eric, thank you, thank you, thank you for that overview. Uh, I think we're in good hands, uh, not with the insurance company, as we all know, but with your organization and yourself uh, when it comes to uh, helping state governments. So with that, I'd like to thank you, Eric, for uh, spending the time with us Again, Eric is the program director at NASIO. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this unique segment for 2020's Enterprise, and we will see you next time. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020's Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holzman, again for another edition of our program next Wednesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then. 